the United States of America is called a Christian nation. Christian nation. Christian nation. It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith, faith, faith. politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with a moment on sports part one. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series championship this past Tuesday after annihilating the Houston Astros 7-0 in game six. Houston had a major problem in World Series most valuable player Jorge Soler, who crushed a three-run moonshot in the third inning. The Braves tacked on three more runs two innings later after Dansby Swanson belted a two-run four-bagger and Soler scored on a double by Freddie Freeman, who smashed a solo tater in the seventh inning. Max Freed pitched an excellent game, as evidenced by his four hits allowed and six strikeouts in six innings of work. Tyler Matzek and not the fresh prince Will Smith came out of the Atlanta bullpen to seal the fourth title in franchise history. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. Yes, I'm back. Hey, Derek, do you watch? Do you watch? Do you watch The Masked Singer at all? No. Wow, that's going to be an interesting conversation then, because I have nothing to talk about the rest of the show. How about you, Ed? You ever watch that show? And I can't hear Ed at all. He's totally, he's totally gone. And uh, well, folks, if you if you watch The Masked Singer at all. I'm going to give you some spoiler alerts. I'm going to give you a few of my thoughts on who some of the some of the uh, characters are. I'm going to tell you right now the the mallard, which by the way is not a mallard, it's a, it's a wood duck, but they call him mallard, is going to be Willie Robinson. You just wait and find that out, is it? I'm sure. The 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 heart, the queen of hearts, that's going to be Jewel. Guarantee it. I I recognize the voices, so I hope I spoiled that for you. So then you can wa- start watching something much more important, uh, like. The news. No, forget that. You're better off watching fantasy because you don't get anything on the news that's good for you. Well, at least not anymore. Hey, joining me is my co-host, Ed Bondarenko. Ed, can you can you now speak into your microphone and have the audience hear you? Yeah, I unmuted it because I cleared my throat and I just didn't want to do that to the audience. By the way, uh, I don't know if you guys saw on your end, Phil was trying to join us. Um, I didn't answer it because I was afraid I might screw something up, that being Derek's job. So... Uh, maybe Phil can try again. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, hey, we got a, a guest with us. I'm going to let you introduce our guest uh, and uh, the the subject matter because you you kind of like uh, talk. We talked about about it before your show, and I said it sounds like a great topic. Um, yeah, since Phil's not on yet, we can jump into that to talking to your host, who you are going to introduce because he's a lawyer and. Um, I have never met a lawyer that uh, didn't try to warm his hands by putting his without putting his hands in my pocket somehow. So, well, you no, got him to smile, kidding. so that's good. Or he's or he's grinning at happy memories, one or the other. So, you know, you know, it's yeah. cold out when 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 the lawyer has his hands in his own pocket, right? Yeah, so. that's politicians. But go ahead. 
So, yes, and uh, joining us, and I hope he stays with us now, is <laughs> our friend David Coleman of Coleman Legal Group and uh, Great Lakes Justice Center. And I keep wanting to say Justice League. And, of course, um, um, Salt and Light Global Initiative, which uh, uh, all three organizations are a force for good in America in the legal community. So Dave puts to lie a lot of the, uh, the stereotypes of lawyers, and I'm I'm, I'm Happy to know that about him. Happy to know him. And we talked on my show about OSHA uh, requirements, mandates, and the like. And we had a second topic that I didn't think we would get to. And I mentioned it to you. And you were gracious enough to uh, let Dave come on and talk about this. Because I think it's very important. It's something very close to your heart. A lot of our listeners' heart. And that is this case of uh, Karungi versus Yalu. Now, I'm sure everybody knows that. As they've seen it in the headlines. Karungi versus Yalu. And so... Uh, I'm going to let Dave tell us about the background of uh, Karungi versus. Does, before yes. he does, you you brought up something very interesting to me. You say he's wow. part of the Justice League of, of he's part of the Justice League. <laughs> Are you actually Aquaman, Dave? I, I just <laughs> no, no, I hate swimming. All right, <laughs> all right, Dave. Tell us something about this case involving these frozen embryos and why it's important. Yeah, this case has been around now for about four or five years, and it's been up and down the appellate courts twice. It involved a couple who were not married, but they had a child, and the child had sickle cell anemia. And they had, through in vitro processes, uh, created 10 embryos, around 10, I think it is. And then they were put in stasis or frozen. And so they're there, and but they're embryos. So fertilization has occurred. Um, if you believe life begins at conception, there's some lives that are just sitting there waiting to continue to grow and come to being. And so the what happened is the mother wanted to take one of the embryos, have another child, because there's a procedure you can do through getting stem cells through an umbilical cord of a sibling that a lot of times will actually cure sickle cell anemia. And so that she wanted to do that to give their living daughter a chance um, to do that, plus to have another child. She just wanted to have another child. The father objected, led to litigation. Our client has uh, offered to waive any child support or any obligations that the father might have, but he still is protesting and fighting this. The courts so far at the trial court level have treated this as a property issue. Um, you know, it, it's a, a property dispute and had ruled that uh, unless the father consented, the mother could not bring one of the embryos you know, to uh, full term and have another child. So it went up to the Court of Appeals the second time now, the Court of Appeals has sent it back again and told the trial court this time very clearly. In fact, here's the language. It says, their earlier decision and the Court of Appeals was not precluding the trial court from addressing the issue of the life status of the embryo, which is what my client has been arguing all along. So you can see how that could have some pretty broad-based implications if a court were to determine that an embryo is life that's worthy of protection. And we can get into a lot of, there are a lot of statutes, people may not realize this, but all throughout Michigan law, embryos, fetuses, you know, preborn children, are protected under the law in, in a multitude of ways other than for their life. 
I mean, it's the most hypocritical, crazy thing in the law, I think, that's out there right now. But for example, if you're, uh, uh, if there's an estate and this preborn baby, this embryo, is an heir, a potential heir of the estate, the court will protect that child's interest for, for its property in an estate. So it treats the embryo as a person for the purposes of their property in an estate. There are wrongful death statutes. If somebody kills a pregnant woman and the baby dies in her womb, they could be charged criminally with, uh, with uh, criminal violations. There are laws against um, uh, doing research on embryos. There's all kinds of laws all through our, our codes that treat embryos as persons. The only place they're not treated as persons is for their own life. And so that's what we're doing here. And now the Court of Appeals has said the trial court can determine what is the life status of these frozen embryos. And I think you can all see how, how wide of an impact that case could have. So we have now taken the case over at Great Lakes Justice Center. Unfortunately, the attorney, Dan Marsh, who is the attorney for Ms. Karungi, um, all the way up till now, just recently passed away very tragically, came ill and died very quickly at a young age. So we're very sorry for, for his passing. He was a real warrior. Um, but now we're stepping in. We're going to be representing Ms. Karungi. We just filed our brief about a week ago. And now the court is going to decide what it's going to do at this point, whether it's going to have a trial, have evidence, make a ruling. We don't know at this point. We're waiting to hear from the judge. So as property, if they were property, then the embryonic cells are like in a joint bank account. Is that how it's being treated? Yeah, absolutely. Which is really outrageous when you think about where's, it. I where's mean, the title? Who has the title to these children? I mean, I understand how if two people owned a house and they divorced, separated. Who has the title on these embryos? Right. And, and the court has said it's joint, that it's property and it's joint. Our, our position is, no, this is a person entitled to protection under Michigan law. And in fact, there's actually U.S. Supreme Court precedent that supports our position, believe it or not, even with the Roe v. Wade decision. The Webster versus Reproductive Health uh, Services case from back in 1989, our Supreme Court said states may make a judgment about when life begins. And so the issue there becomes, but if it's dealing with regulating abortions, then there might be some restrictions on it. But the Supreme Court said you can determine when life begins. Well, in our situation here, we're not talking about an abortion. We're talking about a mom who wants to have a child. And in our law right now, if a woman, once fertilization occurs, under our laws right now, whether you agree with them or not, under Supreme Court precedent, the mother has the choice of whether or not to bring that baby to term. Well, our client wants to bring the baby to term. Fertilization has occurred. The choice was made when that was done. There is no choice now, we believe, under the law that should be giving the father veto rights over this and vetoing a possible cure for his daughter. And we believe that uh, hopefully the courts will see it that way. And we're ready to, to appeal this one all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if we have to. I have two questions. Uh, the first question would be, why isn't this a custody battle rather than a property battle that's from everything a, you just said? That's a great question. And that's actually what the court said, that 
in conjunction with determining the life status of the embryo, the court went on to say, and also the court can determine whether child custody laws apply. And of course, we're gonna argue that they do, you know, in this situation. And that's why our clients should prevail. And the next question, which is probably the same question, maybe I'm just wording it different. I see it as two diff different questions, is if the, these embryos are co-owned, and I'm doing the air quotes here, like property and everything else. Um, I remember not too long ago that if a couple had children or if a couple broke up, to use your example, Ed, uh, they just went their separate ways and whoever left whatever behind left it behind. Why does the father have any say in this whatsoever at this point? Because he freely donated the, the, the sperm towards these embryos and then walked away. Um, why, why she wants them, he doesn't. Why is there even a court case even as far as property goes on this? Who's been paying the storage bills? Our client. And that's the other thing. Whoa. She spent over $40,000. The father's contributed nothing towards Whoa. that. And, that's my case. Point. and and these are excellent questions and the point and that's exactly right once a child so, is conceived and typically it would be in the womb of the mother the embryo would be there the father can't come in and say you must get an abortion you know i don't right. want a child right now you i mean everybody would look at you like well you're crazy that's not the status of our law under our laws right now the mother makes the choice and if she decides to bring that child to you know, to a full term, that's her choice. Because the father's choice ended when fertilization occurred. Now, once a child's born, then other obligations arise and rights of fathers at that point. Now, again, I'm not debating whether that's right or should parents should right. be kept out of that, but that's just the status of our law right now. So for a court to rule that Ms. Karungi can't carry a, one of these embryos to term because it's property is, unbelievable to me and then so, why isn't the court at yeah. some point making him pay at least half of that forty thousand dollars that your client has paid in well i you know that's not an issue right now but uh that's an interesting question but you know i didn't realize we're back a hundred years ago at lists like dred scott you know we've had right. prior cases where minorities were treated as property and they didn't end so well you know <laughs> no, it didn't. this is not a we're going to push this case because our client has the right now that the embryo is there, fertilization has occurred to make the choice. And she's made her choice. The court should honor that. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make light of this. My, my point is, is where the courts in the past have, has basically found in the father's fa favor, if I'm understanding this right, where she hasn't been able to do it. At that point, why didn't the court say, you owe her $20,000. Well, I can't answer that. I don't know that it yeah. ever came up. I, you know, I, we weren't on the case back then, so I don't know. Right, right. I, I'm just curious. It just seems like the, the mother has done everything she could to make sure that her children live, even in, you know, I, I've taken some medicine in every book I've read on embryos and tell me that that child, that embryo is a child in the earliest form of development even in the medical books at University of Michigan tells us that. Right. So all it needs is time and nourishment and it will grow into a human being. And, and fact, with enough oh, time and oh, nourishment. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry. You just said something that I, I must disapprove of or disagree with because this, this all this 
conversation about life and when life begins. And then obviously, I mean, well, I don't know what the definition of life is. It's, it used to be it eats, it moves, it, it replicates, you know, but that doesn't seem to be enough to stop it. But either it is a human being as an embryo or it doesn't or it goes into a human being. And that's part of the slippery slope of this argument. When is right. it a human being? Right. Well, right. I, I, I don't agree. Let me, David, just real quick. And I don't disagree with that, but we we are constantly growing. Um, and like I was just going to say to Dave before, uh, before you made your statement, is that with enough time, he will grow into be a 90-year-old human being. Um, okay. With enough time and, and effort. And the child okay. is by, by, by medicine, by, by medical text from the second is conceived is a child in the most earliest form of developments. DNA is there. Everything is there to turn that child from a, a baby child in the embryo state up to a 90 year old man. Everything is present to do that. So, right. so that's what I meant was that obviously it's a human being at conception from our point of view. Mm -hmm. It can grow into a fully functioning adult human being. You know, that's all. I just meant it in that context, of course. I'm sure you did. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any chance that this might devolve back into a property dispute, given we talked about the rent fees? Well, I don't know. We're, we're not raising the rent fees right now. The issue is okay. our client wants custody of these embryos so that she can make the choice of bringing more children, uh, bringing these children to full term uh, that already exist. And so, you know, that's going to be the issue we're dealing with right now. And she's waived. She's waived any any request for child support. So yes, yes. There's that. All right. So, how do you see this? I can think of a lot of different ways where this could affect the abortion question in so many different ways at the national level if it goes up. Where do you see this going? Well, a lot of it depends on, you know, what happens with uh, the decisions that the courts will make from this point forward. If the court once again declines to rule on the life status of the embryo, then we're going to be appealing. Uh, if the court does rule on the life status and says it's not life, you know, it's not a human being, we're going to appeal it. If the court rules on the life status that it is a human being, and therefore, custody laws apply, and they, you know, would almost have to grant custody to our client at that point. Um, then I'm sure the other side is going to appeal. So I think either way, the trial judge is going to have to make a decision, and it's going to get appealed up. And all I can tell you is, we will take it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if we have to on our side. I don't know what the other side would do or how far they would push it, but that's let, our, let me. That's where we'll go. Let me rephrase that question. Here we are in November, the Christmas trees are already in the stores, you're seeing Christmas commercials. So on your Christmas Christmas list, what would be the ideal outcome that you could see this going to through through the end? Well, that the court the finds court. that the court finds that the embryo is life that's worthy of protection, just like it is in every other area of our law under Michigan statutes, and then grant custody to our client. Um, I don't see how the court could grant custody to a parent who wants to kill the embryo. <laughs> that would seem to me to be, by definition, not in the best interests of that child. So, I, you know, I mean, a court can do whatever it wants, okay? 
But that just seems to me to be counterintuitive, that a court would give custody of a child to a parent that wants to kill it. So I, I don't see right. that happening. But if it did, well, yeah, I mean, that's what we want, is we want custody for our client. She can have another child or two or three, whatever she wants to do. And uh, that's what we're seeking. I'm trying, I don't want to sound, I'm going to try to think like a, like a progressive here for a second. Mm. And, and pretend that this is a property issue. I don't see it that way at all, but pretend it's a property issue. If I had an old car that is also my wife's name and I want to just go junk it and make 50 bucks and she wants to keep the car and she would give me the 50 bucks or the 40,000, whatever it is. Um, where, where is the, uh, where's the conflict coming from? I, I don't understand why this gentleman is, uh, is fighting this so hard if he is not being held in any way, shape or form. Um, I don't want to say liable, but, uh, Responsible. Yeah. Responsible. Yeah. There's, there's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Why is he fighting this, I guess? How does I, he derive ownership? I can't read his mind. I have no idea. Um, no, but how would the courts, um, how would the courts, what's the word, give him ownership rights? What, just because, because a sperm went in there? It yeah, was her egg. If you're treating something as property, and as the analogy was made a little earlier, like a joint bank account, okay? Well, then both parties have equal right to that bank account. And so for a court to rule, you know, hey, it takes both of you to agree on how you're gonna split that money or I'm gonna split it equally or things like that. That happens every day of the week in custody fights and property fights. But this isn't, pro you know, a an embryo is not property that can be divided or split that right. way. And so by effectively saying, I'm going to make this a joint property situation so father can veto it. They've effectively given the authority over to the father to to stop all of this. It's so it's really many, not a joint situation. Again, thinking like a liberal, I see each each embryo that they have as a human being. But mm -hmm. how many embryos are they? And why don't why doesn't the court just say, fine, you get you get half and the other person gets Solomon pleaded, not yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's been necessarily been argued, and I don't know that we would. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I don't. I don't think we would want to consign five of the embryos to death. What's to death? The other, you know, uh, uh, the other five to the mother. I don't know. I, I'd have to think about that. But this whole no, thing I, 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 we're I, into. I'm we're just not going even back to the past courts. Yeah, we're not well, even the past into courts. whether you right. should do this at all. You know, whether or not there should be this sort of, this is the problem that arises when technology gets to the place where we are today. And now you have these embryos that have been created, if I can use that phrase, and they're in, they're frozen, they're in stasis. I mean, you know, these are legal conundrums that, you know. Medical are, terms, let's just say they are, they are in an induced coma for right now. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. I just They're look at them living. as being in a safety deposit box that they were put in there by the mother who owned them. They were her eggs that got invaded by his little minuscule sperm. And so really the, the preponderance is they're hers. But the, the question is if they're life. I don't see how life, whether they're life or not, determines who has control of them. That's true. Uh, again, about our our case law and, and the system we have in place right now says that 
once fertilization occurs, it is completely 100% the choice of the mother, whether or not okay. to continue and bring that you know, embryo to full term and a birth. So, that so we're, we're, we're basically... Now, I'll just mention this real quick. You know, the Dobbs case, which is pending right now in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, the Mississippi abortion law, 15-week uh, regulation that they put in place. The Supreme Court's hearing arguments on that right around the 1st of December. We filed an amicus brief in that case. There's another amicus brief that was just filed. David, David, I got to cut you off. David, okay. we got the music started. We hold right. over, till the, if you can, till the uh, after the break. Folks, we'll be back after these messages. Pastor Richard Dietering on Wham. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with another moment on sports. Fifty years ago today, the third-ranked Michigan Wolverines football team obliterated the Iowa Hawkeyes 63-7. The Mazan Blue dominated on the ground with 493 rushing yards and 5.8 yards per carry. Ed Shuttlesworth scored on a pair of three yard touchdown runs, and he added another from five yards out. Alan Walker found his way to the end zone twice, the first of which was a 28-yard carry, and the other was a nine-yard carry. Billy Taylor, Glenn Dowdy, and Bob Thornblad each scored on touchdown runs of five, two, and three yards, respectively, while Bo Rather caught a 24-yard touchdown pass from Tom Slade to round out the Wolverines' scoring. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. So last week I was watching TV with my wife. Uh, she actually sat down and watched mixed couple curling with me. Uh, it's just to narrow down who's going to be on the team. And she actually realized that curling is really a sport and is interesting. Um, and she started to notice things like, hey, there's bumps on the ice. How did they get that? So, hey, yeah, curling is fun to watch. So stay tuned for the Olympics, folks. That's going to be the only thing in the Winter Olympics worth watching, I'm sure. We have... Our guest still on the phone with us, David Coleman. Um, we're talking about a case that he's dealing with. And uh, we, we were talking about it during during uh, the break. And right now uh, we have one state that's trying to push a 15 weeks, no abortions after 15 what? weeks. How many weeks is it right now in the state of Michigan that uh, a woman can kill her baby up to? Is it well, 24 under weeks? Michigan, under Michigan law, it's zero weeks. Michigan zero weeks. is the strongest, um, you know, abortion law in the country. If Roe v. Wade were overturned, our law comes back into place, which is why Governor Whitmer was trying to get the legislature to change it a few weeks ago. But um, our our law protects babies from the moment of conception. So right. we don't have a six-week or a 15-week or a 25-week, you know, where you oh, can have so abortion before. There's no, no limit. No limit at all. So right now, if someone wants to kill their baby under under the law, there's nothing saying how no, far in the pregnancy they can go. Under Michigan law, they're prohibited at any point. That's what I mean by no limit. Yeah. 
it's from right. the no. beginning. It's from the get go. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but we do have we do have abortion clinics in Michigan. Of course. And how late will they allow a pregnancy to go before they will not kill the baby? Oh, uh, they do it right up to the moment of birth. Oh, they do. Sure. So, so fifteen it's weeks in, in Mississippi. When it's later, when it's later in the pregnancy, they just have to couch it in terms of, oh, it's for the health of the mother, or it's something like that. Um, that that they, because right now the current row standard, of course, is viability, and that's been getting pushed back for you know earlier and earlier, and so. Um, up to that point, the mother can just have an abortion for no reason whatsoever. After that point, she can still have an abortion. It just has to fall within these areas of the health of the mother or things like that. So, so 15 weeks, where I'm going with this is the, these embryos, even in Mississippi, if they get the 15 weeks, um, these embryos are beyond 15 weeks now, right? They're almost teenagers, aren't they? I was gonna say, yeah, they're they're uh, middle school age at least, something like that. Um, but you know, it's interesting you bring up an interesting point because Michigan was pushing. There was a move to try to have the heartbeat bill passed in Michigan that would have made it like six weeks or eight weeks or something like that. That actually would have weakened Michigan's law. I mean, Michigan's right. law right now protects from the moment of conception. So if we were to change that to six weeks, you're actually giving a window then where an abortion could happen, which right, right. now it's not permissible under Michigan law. So most hey, we got bill makes sense, but not here in Michigan. All right, let's get Gary on the line. He's been waiting patiently since before the break. Um, Gary, you have a question or a statement? Hey, Rick. Um, yeah, I was wondering, uh, in the uh, uneventful uh, event that uh, the mother and the father uh, meet at untimely demise. What happens to those embryos? Do they become wards of the state, or what would happen because they are alive? That's a real good question. I don't have the answer to. I, I assume because they have a contract regarding the in vitro fertilization and the embryos and paying. I, I really don't know uh, what would occur at that point. All righty. Thank you. I, I think you've seen, in, in my opinion, have you seen on. that contract? Yes. Okay, because okay. we were talking during the break about, you know, well, then who determines who had, quote unquote, so much rights, you know, if this was like a chicken egg and she had it fertilized by somebody else's rooster in vitro and then she put it away in a refrigerator and paid the refrigeration fee, you know, why would the guy who owned the rooster get have any control over that? And so you might have the answer to that with. Yeah, that's part of the con. You know, there's a contract that set out that the parties had agreed to. That's actually a contract provided by the uh, organization, the in vitro uh, association or group corporation that that provided this service. And but they're not a party to this lawsuit. It's just the two parents are in the lawsuit. What I find sad about this is we are talking about life and yeah. I, we, we only keep taking it to property because two other courts in the past have taken it to property and it shouldn't have been. The, the, these are exactly. living, living people. I've had this conversation on my show many a times is what do you consider as viable? Um, and I find that that question of viability is, is subjective. It's it, a strong. It, it can, it can, right. It's a straw man. Yeah. As, 
Well, if you treat it as a child custody case, as David before the, the break alluded to, usually the judge awards the child to whoever the parent has the best interest of the, you know, whatever was the best interest in the child, that's the parent that gets awarded. So, you know, the, then it boils down to, is this a child custody case? Right. Which is what we're arguing. The Court of Appeals has said the trial court should now make a decision on. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if I brought this up on the last uh, last half or if I brought it up during break. It's the that if the embryo was in the mother's womb, then the protection of that would be solely upon the mother. The father would have no say in that. Right. Um, at least right now, it has no say. But because the location of that embryo has moved, um, somehow now the mother has less say so in, in the care of her child, just because of a matter of location. I'm right. sorry. I'm still my. I'm here in in a hidden concave of getting ready to eat some really good food at a friend of mine's house, and uh, but I am still my mother's child, right? <laughs> So because this child, because these children are somewhere else, the mother no longer has say. That's the I, I child custody it. portion. Yeah. Just yeah, don't get it. Point. You know, it's location. Well, that was a conversation a, killer. Yeah, I was just, <laughs> <laughs> I think I just gave you your argument, David, and now just go in and, and send me, I'll send you my receipt after you win or my, yeah, right, after you we'll, win. We'll I do have a question. <laughs> I can't do that because then I'd be practicing law illegally. So I'll forget <laughs> that. Are you hearing this under the auspices of Coleman Legal Group or under um, um, Great Lakes Justice Center? No, this is Great Lakes Justice Center has stepped in to handle this case. Right. Okay, because I was saying, geez, $40,000 for storage and then legal fees. Or no. a 501c3 nonprofit legal organization, just like ADF or the ACLU or anybody else out there. So, and you depend on financial contributions, am sure. I not correct? And how would people sure. financially contribute to this fight, David? Yeah, they can go to our website. It's Great Lakes JC for Justice Center, <laughs> greatlakesjc.org. And then we go to the homepage, there's a donate section. And yeah, obviously, if you agree with what we're doing, we have a number of other cases we're handling right now. And I think uh, you know soon. We, maybe I'll come back on in a couple of weeks. We have a couple of cases uh, involving some public schools and actions being taken against yeah. Christian students. So uh, there's just so much going on right now, and Great Lakes is uh, out there fighting these fights. And we sure could use the support of anybody who agrees with us and supports what we're doing. That's for sure. Okay. David, we've got another caller on the line. Just be prepared because he could end up asking you to talk about something other than what we're talking about because that's just the way he is. That would um, not be possible, but I'll try. <laughs> hey, Joe. How you doing? Hey, guys. I called in, and he did address why I and many others opposed the Heartbeat Coalition bill because it actually weakened our position, not strengthened it. But unfortunately, there are a lot of well-intentioned new people involved in politics that just want to do something, even if it might be the wrong thing, like now the Unlock Michigan 2 petition, which concedes the health department lockdown authority that it doesn't have. Are those apples and apples, Dave? Wait a minute, uh -huh. he did it. 
He changed the subject. He did it. <laughs> well, look. Well, it I relates. It's the same God. thing with the heartbeat and the unlock two. Well-intentioned people who just don't know the current laws or the Constitution are wanting to do something, even if it's the wrong thing, and actually growing the deep state. Am I right on that or no, Dave? Well, I mean, it does take it a step back. I mean, the Unlock Michigan uh, petition drive would actually curtail the power of the governor. I mean, look, these laws were put in place 50 years ago, 70 years ago for actual emergencies, not for something with like we're dealing with right now, some two, almost two years later. Um, it's no longer an emergency. We're not saying it's not a problem and there aren't things that should be done, but it's not an emergency. And yet the governor and her acolytes and the agencies won't give up their power to control and tell people to wear masks and shut down and all these sorts of things. So what this petition drive will do is it will say, okay, if it's a real emergency, the governor has authority to do something, you know, for 28 days, and then that's it. After that, she can't continue doing what she's doing unless the legislature signs off on it. And they're the people who are elected directly, you know, of course they're all elected, but they're more accountable directly to the people. So I think that's the idea behind it. And then if you've got a legislature that's, acting like lunatics and they're continuing it well that's how our political process works you vote them out but i don't yeah, disagree well, with what you're saying Jim, that, that the law should be changed and Dave. it should be clarified so that we don't have a repeat of this kind of of usurping of our freedoms and trampling on the constitution that's happened for the last two years Did that answer your question joe flawed. i don't have the right to punch you in the face 365 days. If your response to my saying, I'm going to punch you in the face every day for the next 365 days is, well, you know what? Let's compromise. I'll let you punch me in the face 28 days in a row only. Hey, Let's Joe, see hey, I mean, a right I, I, I don't have. have. Look, that's what political discourse is all about, you know? And that's why we have these debates. Punching in the face? I can no. I mean, I can conceive of situations where it's a real emergency. You know, where right. something is going on and something needs to be done that's not like what's happening right now. You know, and so to say that the governor or or the government has no capability of responding to a true emergency, we'd all be clamoring for them to do something. So, look, it's a fine line, but all of this comes down to. We elect people to fill these spots and to not abuse their power. And the power is being abused. That's why it has to be curtailed. All right, love you, brothers. That... Take care. God bless. Hey, Joe, Joe, Thanks. I just wanted yeah. to say, I just want to say, you know, I love you, but David is more interesting and has more hair. So we're going to hang up on you even if you don't hang up. So. Everybody has more hair than me, right? So, all right, love you all. God all right. bless. Later. All right. You know, as far as emergencies, as far as emergencies, we were talking earlier about the OSHA law and it being an emergency response. It's it's really odd that what the the shot's been out since last December and their emergency response is this December or even January later. Right. Yeah. Just just. 
And that's going back to the OSHA rules we were talking about last hour. That's going to be one of the big fights. How do you pass an emergency rule for this? I mean, you know, an emergency rule is something you put in place quickly and it goes in place in effect. It's a short, small little rule to handle some emergency situation, not a 500 page behemoth, you know, of nobody can even read it to understand what's in it. And they're just going to pass it. And it's an emergency after some six months later. Now it's still an emergency. I, I mean, this, I, I got a quick question and you may have covered this on a show. I didn't hear it because I tried not hard not to listen to a show. Um, <laughs> <understood>. <laughs> I can't do the same. Um, <laughs> uh, as far as far as these forced jabs, you hear people talking all over the place about religious exemptions. Now, my my wife got in a religious exemption where she works. Another person I know used the exact same language and believes the exact same thing. I mean, firmly believes the same thing where he works and was denied. Where are the guidelines of what, what isn't a religious exemption in which someone who does have a real religious, a real solid belief against getting this shot? Where, where are the guidelines on this? What what institutes a true belief, I guess, yeah, that there, should be really satisfied by somebody? Yeah, there really aren't any other than what the U.S. Supreme Court has already laid down. And so on this issue, which is why we won the Western Michigan University case, was because Western Michigan denied their religious exemptions, even though they were legitimate and well stated and the, and the students had put them in, and they all got denied. What the law says is if you have a sincerely held religious belief, then the government has to accommodate that belief. Okay. Now, what is sincerely held religious belief? The court has routinely said it's whatever the person who's claiming the belief says it is. I mean, as long as it's not completely wacky, like, you know, I've got a tinfoil hat and I'm hearing people from Mars, you know, sort of thing, I think you could question the sincerity. But 99.9% of the time, if it's, you know, a sincere belief held by someone, the courts say that's enough. Then the issue here is what level of scrutiny, you know, how does a court review a case? Once they determine it's sincerely held, then they have to give what's called strict scrutiny, not just a rational, reasonable basis. And those cases get won or lost on that ruling. That's why we won. And that's why you've seen other cases uh, for example, the the, the uh, person who sued MSU over the medical exemption, mm -hmm. same judge who ruled our way on Western Michigan, Judge Maloney, ruled against the person at Michigan State University. Why? Because their case was a rational basis, reasonableness standard. Our case was, no, the highest review that you can get under our law, which is called strict scrutiny. And the courts then, t you almost have to uphold the religious belief. So it's those kinds of legal machinations that happen here when people are wondering, how is it that one person won over here and that person lost? And you know, why is that? It's because of those kinds of issues that, that happen. The reason I ask, I have a friend of mine who works for a municipality. Uh, he's a frontline worker. I, I won't get much deeper than that, but he works in a major municipality, frontline worker. And um, they might, it sounds like they're gonna just pretty much deny everything as far as religious exemption. So then they what does he call you? Yeah, they have to sue to uh, enforce their religious beliefs. And so they contact us or ADF or somebody or their own attorney and bring a lawsuit. And uh, that's what you have to do. That's the way the system works. But yeah, I, 
you know, it's it, it's really kind of disingenuous for a company to say, we're going to offer religious exemptions and then deny 100% of them. You know, that's a sham. That's a pretext. Right. And so once you get to court, usually most courts are going to see through that and will not let them get away with it. Now, again, let me just make one other point, too. And I keep emphasizing this as I'm speaking around the state. There's a big difference between government action and private action. Okay? Our First Amendment rights, religious rights, free speech, constitutional rights only apply against government action. If a private business does the same thing, requiring a vaccine, whatever it is they're doing, if it's not the government, you don't have a First Amendment right. So that means but you have if to they look, get their check. You have to look they, to Title Seven and other statutes to right. protect your rights, not the Constitution. So if the person is a police officer for a municipality or a fireman for the municipality, that's working for the government, though, right? Yes. Yes. Then they right. can make their constitutional First Amendment arguments. But if How they're about, working for a private security firm who's just providing security at events or things like that, and it's totally private, they would not have the constitutional issues. Thank you. That answered the question I was looking for. Well, one yep. of the answers. Yeah, Ed. I was thinking, um, I don't know how well it would work, but suppose you worked for a company that had more than 100 employees and you're facing the OSHA requirements and you say, okay, I quit. I'm forming a company and I will subcontract my services to the organization I used to work for as a subcontractor. Would that fly? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see those kinds of things going on. I, I talked to one businessman yesterday who was considering they have just around a little less than 200 employees. They were going to separate out their business. So each business had less than 100. If um, you had a business, those uh, kinds uh, of games are worth it, frankly, because I think ultimately the Biden administration wants to make everybody comply with this. So I don't you know. You might make those changes and spend a lot of money divide up your company, and then next week they come out with a rule, well, now all businesses have to do the mandate. And what did it gain you? You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I but I know people are probably going to try those kinds of things for sure. I want to get this question out, and it goes right along the line what Ed asked and what we've been talking about on this section. Uh, what if a company like Hobby Lobby or some other big company that has over 100 employees saying this is against our religious belief in enforcing mm -hmm. this? Can, can the corporations fight Sure. On uh, their religious exemptions on this, and what they do you think they would be successful? They wouldn't be fighting the religious exemption because the company doesn't need the exemption technically. It's the employees right. that do. But the company can't fight the rule, which is what you're, you're seeing right now. There are lawsuits being filed all over the country right now as we speak. But not under a religious exemption where they feel it's wrong to force no, people but to just out of their religious beliefs that this is a wrong, this rule violates the, the company's religious, you know, beliefs. Yeah. I think that's what you've been asking, same Rick. Same kind of issue, same kind of issue, but right. it's not exactly the same. All right. They're, 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 they're still claiming their religious exemption by saying that we don't find it religiously. Uh, we don't believe we would be in the right to do for somebody to do this. Right. And so what they're saying is not, don't give us an exemption. That's not what they're asking for. They're saying, throw out the rule. <laughs> right. That the rule itself is unconstitutional. You can't enforce it against us. So that's the difference. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I'm just remembering the Hobby Lobby case when it came up to the Obamacare enforcement right. of the abortion, stuff like that, that um, maybe if they really, instead of breaking up into companies of 50, um, they fight it on the idea of religious grounds. I'm looking at my notes of what the topic was. The topic was 
the embry embryos and life. And Joe, Joe did was this. so successful. <laughs> Amazing. Well done, Joe. Well done. <laughs> Joe, you're grounded off this show for seven days. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Like I said earlier, I think Joe gets more airtime than I do when you sum up all his calls to all the shows in a week. Well, I try to make it happen that way, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I, I got a little button on the side and I push, okay, now Ed wants to speak, so let's take another caller. <laughs> no. Um, so what... Uh, when do you hear on the? When do you go into court next on the embryo case? Well, like I I mentioned earlier, we filed our brief a week ago, Friday, just over a week ago. The other side will be filing a brief, and then it's up to the judge. The judge will either set it for trial, set it for oral arguments. Uh, we don't know. It's whatever the judge determines to do. The judge could just issue a ruling and say one way or the other. So we don't know. It's up to Judge Judge Langton in Oakland. County. All right. Thank the music's you. playing, you, the music's playing yep. but we will have time to pray over this. You have time. Heavenly Father, just be with uh, the lawyers as they go through this battle. Protect the life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, David, thank you for coming. Ed, thank you as always. I love you. And we'll see you next week on A Moment of Clarity. You've been listening to A Moment of Clarity on Wham Talk 1600 with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Be sure to tune in again next week right here on Wham Radio 